Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's show, Nikki Haley hits Donald Trump hard and promises to stay in the race through Super Tuesday. Hell yeah. And Joe Biden gives a fiery speech in South Carolina and puts together a campaign strategy that includes Taylor Swift. That's right. We're going to include Taylor Swift in the in the opening just to get those get, the, get those numbers like, up. Uh, get, get that, that Kansas City get that, get that, that NFL traffic. Yeah. Have you guys seen that? There's a whole conspiracy theory that the Super Bowl was scripted because yes. an oh, yeah. Outback Steakhouse had a poster that said Kansas City Chiefs versus San Francisco 49ers a couple weeks ago. I did not know that about the Outback. Was that a poster from 2020 when they played each other in the Super Bowl? I don't know. They, <laughs> I, I obviously don't know. They were pushing on an open door with this. There's a lot of NFL rigged conspiracy theories. There was a there was a rumor out there that there was a, an actual script written that someone had gotten their hands on. That's the vague, cool. the vague thinks it was a, a deep state thing that, uh, that, that the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl and Taylor mm-hmm. Swift. I don't think it's rigged, but the NFL is definitely like, Whoa. hell yeah, thank God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Not, like, not, well, it's, it's, that's, that's capitalism. That's not. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is also often and she can get And she can get here in time from Tokyo. Yeah, she can. She gets a private plane. She's Tokyo Saturday night. She's got to fly right after that. And then she's got to go right to Vegas. Okay. But first, first. uh, the big issue in Congress and the 2024 campaign right now is immigration. We talked last week about Trump trying to kill the bipartisan deal to secure the border so that Republicans can run on that issue. The whole party is doubling down on that after President Biden endorsed the deal, said that it would give him emergency authority to shut down the border when it becomes overwhelmed and promised to do that the day he signed the bill into law. Trump called the deal a political gift to Democrats told a crowd in Las Vegas that he wants the blame for killing it, and praised Speaker Mike Johnson for saying the deal would be dead on arrival in the House. Republicans are instead attempting to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for not addressing the border crisis, even though he's the guy who helped negotiate the bipartisan deal to address the border crisis. Meanwhile, the lead Republican negotiator in the Senate, Oklahoma's extremely conservative James Lankford, who was condemned by his own state party over the deal, went on Fox and called out his colleagues for playing politics. It is interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. We all have an oath to the Constitution, and we have a commitment to say we're going to do whatever we can to be able to secure the border. Uh-huh. <laughs> So we'll get into the politics in a second, but uh, what's your take on the deal based on what's been reported so far? I know we don't have text of the deal yet. Well, yeah, we don't have it. First of all, the Oklahoma Republicans are denouncing him for a deal they have not seen. Mm. It doesn't exist on paper. We've We've only only seen like we were right before recording, like looking around to find if there was anything with more than a few sentences and kind of uh, uh, passed on descriptions of it. Like Biden refers to it in a statement. Reporters have vague details in their stories that they've probably gotten from staffers and senators. So, you know, basically all we know is that there's what amounts to a conservative border proposal that has been sort of negotiated between Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, we have like the vaguest of details. Yeah. He got in trouble for the sin of negotiating with Democrats for trying, in the first place. Yes. I mean, for we sort the of know the broad strokes the broad of the yes. deal, right? They're going to, that if 
uh, border crossings get to a certain level, then uh, Biden would be required to shut down the border. If it gets over an average of 5,000 people a day for a week, or I think if it spikes to one day of 8,500 crossings, you can suspend asylum screening at non-official ports of entry. Mm-hmm. And that's a and that's a rate that's been hit most days in the past month. Yes. Yes. And there's also just going to be funding. There, there might change the... Um, the uh, timeline for getting your asylum hearing right now, it's like up to a year, but they're going to try to bring that down to six months because part of the problem is there's just not enough judges and the hearings are taking too long. Not up to a year, years. Yeah. Years. years they want to get it down from years to six months. Yeah. They're going to try to do more work permits because another issue that's happening is when people claim asylum and then they are released into the country, they can't get jobs anywhere because they don't have work permits. So that's an issue they're trying to fix as well. So that's sort of the the broad broad strokes of the deal. The Republicans are saying that because it's up to uh, five thousand uh, a day to to close the border down, that um, basically that that Biden and the people supporting this deal want to let in five thousand a day. Yeah, that is a permission. That it's a number. That, that, that that's just that's not, a, even like Lang, Lang, The idea that we're like saying be like Langford, a right winger. Has been, and they sent him to do this. They sent him to his death. The American <laughs> to go do this. The American Conservative Union in 2020 named James Langford the second most conservative senator in the United States Senate. <laughs> this is the squish. This is the uh, liberal squish who's betrayed the Republicans on this deal. Yeah, I mean, I think he, look, I don't know the guy, but he does seem like he's <laughs> sincerely trying to lead a process to solve the problem. You know, I've, I heard him talk about what his like final bill would look like, and he basically thought he could put together something that would get half Democrats and half Republicans get to maybe 70 votes. Yeah. But he's talking about something there. It is a real problem. I mean, I heard Lankford say in an interview that uh, in 2010, 21,000 people applied for asylum on the southern border. The U.S. now sees that number in two days. So you can understand how the system is just completely overwhelmed and overtaxed. And you have this perverse incentive where uh, people know that if you apply for asylum, you can get released into the U.S. and basically wait out your asylum hearing for years and years and years. But that has led to you'll have people flying from like Uzbekistan to Mexico to pay a cartel or a trafficker to take them to the border. Uh, and no one thinks that that's how the process should go, because you're if you're coming from Uzbekistan, you're going through all these other countries where you could uh, seek asylum if you actually had a political concern or need. Yeah, it's it's tough to understand the the uh, extent of the crisis because for so long Republicans have you know used Fox and everything else to like make people think that uh, you know we're getting invaded by by immigrants, right? That's their whole shtick. But last month, illegal border crossings in, in from Mexico were the highest ever recorded in history, uh, over three hundred thousand in December, and so uh, border patrol, immigration courts completely overwhelmed. Uh, migrants and asylum seekers waiting forever for hearings. They're getting bused to cities that do not have the resources to help them. They cannot get work permits. So the current system isn't working for anyone, including migrants. Right. You have uh, people who have sincere asylum needs who can't get a hearing. Yeah. The Biden administration also put in place this, uh, they had an app so that you could, instead of coming to the border, like in your home country, you could try to schedule at a port of entry um, an asylum hearing. And the wait times just for that app like sometimes three, four months just to get through because the demand is so high because there's just so many people. So it's just it's just a mess. Yeah, it was also a mistake, I think, to push that U2 album as part of the up. <laughs> Timely. Timely joke there. <laughs> wow. Okay. Like aging. Aging millennial. Uh, <laughs> well, everyone's aging, John. Find me a person who isn't aging. A, he's got a good point. That is a good point. So immigration activists are angry with Biden for saying he'll shut down the border. I would say that 
as Tommy mentioned, they're still going to allow people to apply for asylum at ports of entry. And because there's a Republican House, the choice is not between a deal and a better deal. It's between this deal and the status quo, which the vast majority of Americans, elected officials of both parties, people in border communities and now big cities do not want. They want to get control of the border. The polling is very terrible. By by the way, and the polling shows that like, I think it's like between, it depends on the poll, but like, let's say between 55 and 60% when asked prefer Republicans to Democrats on the border. Like it's also an issue in which Republicans feel like they have an advantage and like having Biden in a position to be making this deal is 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 one we'd prefer than Donald, what, Trump. Than Donald Trump making this deal. There's also a lot of money in there for border patrol, but also immigration judges, asylum officers, so people to actually process these claims and try to help people, you know, get heard. There's also um it would provide green cards for refugees from Afghanistan who are in the US. So that's another important uh wrong the administration's trying to right through this process. Yeah. And just to come back to the polling for a second, it's it's, just, it's it's wild. I was surprised by this too. So immigration, when you ask people what their top issue is, immigration has always been sort of up there for Republicans, at least in the last several years in the Trump era. It's now getting to be the top issue for voters. In, in a couple of polls, it was the number one issue. It's now like overtaking inflation as a, as a big issue. And um, YouGov just was out with a poll today. Uh, and this was not a small sample, it's 40,000 adults, and they asked the question, do you support or oppose building a wall? Oof. Support 50%, oppose 33%, with plurality support from the following groups, 18 to 29-year-old voters, black voters, Hispanic voters, basically every single demographic group they tested, except for registered Democrats, it wants a fucking wall, <laughs> which is, first of all, is is bad and would not solve the problem and is just like ridiculous. But so if that's the if that's the polling on the wall, imagine the polling on, well, at least secure the border. Yeah, the the and I do think like on this issue and a bunch of other issues, I do think like there is a broader a broader recurring theme, which is the more people feel like a problem is out of control, not well maintained, that there is a sense of danger the more conservative their responses get on other issues related to it. If people feel that crime is high, they want more funding for the police. If people believe the border is a mess, their immigration positions move to the right. And so there is a connection between wanting a long-term, humane, compassionate, open, welcoming society and a set of policies that put Biden in a position to say the border is more under control or, you know, on the path to being kind of protected, whatever. I, I bet people also support the wall because it's the only policy solution they've heard about for mm. the past decade, right? Because well, our immigration system is this confusing, dated patchwork of laws and processes. And Trump is offering them a very simple one, a simple fix. We're going to build the wall and we're going to lock people out, right? And like that kind of populist demagoguery is highly effective, especially when you're demagoguing groups or just attacking, you know, government that's not working. And again, people's views on the border are very different than people's views on legal immigration and what to do about the tens of millions of undocumented immigrants who are already here and who've been here for a while. The majority of Americans still want a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants who are here and they and they want more legal immigration. It's just that the, the border um, and now that the border problem has not just become an issue for border communities, but for cities all across the country, that has pissed a lot of people off and they want it fixed. So I don't see how this gets done now because uh, Johnson said it was dead on arrival in the House. 
I don't even know if it will pass the Senate at this point, because I don't think a lot of Senate Republicans might not want to take a hard vote if they know that it's not going anywhere in the House. But I don't know. Do you guys see any way this gets done? I, first of all, it's just amazing that this has become a hard vote. Uh, and just it is like the point. That I know we should talk about like this, the Trump. Of this it is all. fucking <laughs> wild. Like this border debate is a concession to a concession. This is a border debate. In, that was made necessary by Republicans insisting on it in order to pass funding for Ukraine. Now what has become then, and then inside of that border negotiation, you have Democrats and the Biden administration conceding on a number of grounds to get to a bipartisan compromise that can conceivably pass both houses. And the idea that that, like a border control measure that they sought out, that is ultimately like, you know, I'm I am sure that they, that Democrats that are part of the negotiation are fighting hard to make it as humane, compassionate, you know, uh, as much funding as possible to fix the the judicial process, to fix the asylum system and what have you. But ultimately, like this is the uh, nation of laws part of the immigration reforms. There's also the nation of immigrants part that is not even that is not that is mostly outside of this conversation. And the idea that that's become a hard vote is just such a testament to the kind of like control Republicans have had and why you've seen Romney. But even people like Langford, who are normally not this outspoken against Republicans, saying like that this is a joke. Well, a lot of them have realized that saying we don't want to do this deal because it would help Joe Biden and Donald Trump wants to our boss, Donald Trump, wants to run on it. They realize that that's probably not the smartest thing that's to say. Quiet part some of loud, them. Have yeah. Said, yeah, some of them have realized that others have not, including Donald Trump. But now their complaint is and Mike Johnson uh, said this in his statement that um, and Trump's been saying this too. Biden doesn't need a bill. To close the border, that Biden right. should be able to do this on which his own, which is just a lie. During the Trump administration, Trump and Johnson both wanted Congress to pass legislation that gave Trump the authority to close the border. Uh, most of the executive actions that Trump took on his own to deal with the border were overturned by the courts. Um, and also, by the way, while Trump successfully uh, reduced legal immigration during his four years, thanks to Stephen Miller, he didn't really succeed at reducing illegal immigration by much at all. And partly because he tried to do all these fucking executive actions on his own, didn't work with Congress, the courts overturned them, and that was that. And by the way, before they've discovered this idea that the president could have solved this on their own the whole time, even though this is a decades-long problem that no president's been able to solve of either party, they you had Cornyn going out there uh, saying Greg Abbott uh, wants a bipartisan bill to pass because he can't wait a year for there not to be these policies in place. Like they knew, like they before they discovered that the president could do this without legislation, the the the, the critique they were trying to damp with dampen was the idea that Trump could do a better deal. And so before they even got to the idea that they didn't need a law at all, they thought that what they had to do is convince people they couldn't get a better deal under Trump. So this is an idea they've come up with in the last what? week and a half. It also just doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, if you don't, if you think the president doesn't need the authority, then what's your problem with the bill? Just pass the bill. If you want to do a stronger bill, Donald Trump, if you become president, then you can do a stronger bill then. Like, what are you, what are you fucking talking about? It doesn't make any sense. Ugh. So Biden and the Democrats want to flip the politics on this issue by making sure Trump and Republicans get the blame for refusing to uh, help do something about the border. You guys think that's doable? Any ideas what they should be doing? I mean, it's going to take a huge messaging push. I think it's doable. I mean, because you have the Trump comments, right? You have Lankford saying what he's, we heard the clip earlier that he's basically saying Republicans are changing their minds on this. There was a Republican congressman from Texas who said he's, quote, not willing to do damn much right now to help a Democrat and to help Joe Biden's approval rating. Again, reading the state directions there. Uh, there's all these reports about Mitch McConnell's comments that Trump is trying to kill the bill. So the, the challenge is it's going to be an uphill climb for 
Biden because of the political context we talked about earlier. There was an ABC News Washington Post poll that had Biden uh, at an 18% approval rating on the issue of immigration. So people are disinclined to trust him on this. Uh, and you will have to convince some very skeptical people that you care about the issue, that you're on it, that you're sincerely trying to fix it. But I do think you have to try because uh, Republicans have handed you a political gift here by being so ham-handed and stupid about their actual motives. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I'd lean in really hard on this and because a lot of most people only think that, you know, Trump and Republicans are tough on the border and and Biden's just presided over a mess. That's all they think. And they're not following the details of this. I would run ads. I would give speeches. If I was Joe Biden, I'd call them out in the State of the Union. That's a, that's a pretty big audience. And they're sitting Get right booed. there. Yeah. Have them yell back at you. Absolutely. And make it a moment. Like they're giving us so many quotes, like some of the ones Tommy read, J.D. Vance said, we're going to we're, we're going to take a vote that only harms us politically. That's why he doesn't want to do it. Uh, Donald Trump has been saying it. Uh, you've got Lankford, the, the clip that we played of Lankford being like, yeah, my fellow, my fellow Republicans are just not solving the problem. Nikki Haley has been doing it. And this is not the first time these cowards have seen the politics on immigration reform and then decided to cave. In 2013, there was a big bipartisan effort led by Marco Rubio until, uh-oh, he saw the politics and decided to blame it on Obama and say he was walking away from the deal because he didn't trust the administration to implement the policy that he didn't have the courage to try to put forward anymore. The difference between that 2013 proposal and this proposal, like these are light years apart. That was a comprehensive immigration plan that had a path to citizenship as part of it. And so they did, and the politics had shifted. This was like the post-autopsy where Republicans thought they were going to appeal to to moderates and Hispanics by, by shifting on this and a bunch of other issues. And then Donald Trump shows up and they realize they can't. We are so fucking far from that. My My hope too, by the way, is that some of these Republicans in the Senate are so fucking pissed that they still bring this to a vote and go along with passing it. Because I do think it matters. Like, they, because I, I am sure there's going to be a lot of pressure to make sure that this is just a Democratic vote, right? And that no Senate Republicans go along with it. And maybe they would rather not, right? It's an easier vote. If if they're at the point where this is going to be dead in the House and you have whatever, 38, 39 Republicans willing to vote against it, like, uh, you know, can they get Republican votes? I don't know. Yeah, I guess they need 10 because it's, uh, you know, it would be filibuster- you need, you'd have to deal with the filibuster. So, right. What I'm saying is, if if they look, if they if they're at the point where they think they have four or five, six or seven, right? Are no, they no, any? I know. I yeah. just don't think they'll get all the Democrats. There's a bunch of Democrats already said they're opposed to this in the Senate that are yeah. going to vote no. I, mean, I don't think Bernie would vote for this. I mean, there's a bunch of progressives that think this is too draconian. Yeah, yeah it's going to be tough. So one of the few Republicans who's attacking Trump for killing the deal is Nikki Haley, who's hitting Trump on everything these days. She's apparently decided to make the next month as miserable as possible for Trump, which we love. Haley said over the weekend that she's staying in the race through Super Tuesday on March 5th and that she doesn't need to win South Carolina, her home state. Just show improvement. Sure. Whatever. I love it. I love it. That's great. Maybe she's a millennial. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but she also spent the weekend laying into Trump. Uh, she weighed in on the E. Jean Carroll verdict and accused him of being an insecure, overly sensitive establishment insider who's in decline and can't stop throwing tantrums. Let's listen. He was a bit sensitive, and I think his feelings were hurt, but he threw a temper tantrum out on stage. Seriously, threw a total temper tantrum. 
Look, I mean, he can't bully his way through the nomination. I think that, you know, it's not surprising that he is surrounded by the political elite. But let's keep in mind, the political elite has gotten nothing done for us in stopping the wasteful spending, has gotten nothing done to secure the border, has gotten nothing done to keep us more safe as we see wars around the world. I absolutely trust the jury, and I think that they made their decision based on the evidence. I just don't think that should take him off the ballot. I think the American people will take him off the ballot. I do think that he is in decline, and I think that he needs to know to step away. I do think that he surrounds himself in chaos, and we can't be a country in disarray and have a world on fire and be in chaos. Isn't it sad that it's like quite notable breaking news that uh, an elected Republican trusts the justice system? Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, also, Trump absolutely can bully his way to the nomination, and she yeah. definitely he, needs to win something. He may already have. As yeah. much as I enjoyed that that supercut, uh, come on, Nikki. I mean, what do you think she's up to here? Do you think do you think she thinks she can actually win? This is the part of the campaign, the kind of like pre-South Carolina moments where the candidates, they unburden themselves and they and they let rip. And I think part of it is go for broke. Let's see if this harsher message works. Part of it is probably just cathartic, right? I mean, this is around when uh, in late February of 2016, Marco Rubio started cracking jokes about Trump's penis, for example. That was well for a very high-minded policy debate. Yeah. Um, Trump has also screwed up a lot recently. He's given her some fodder here. I mean, confusing her with Nancy Pelosi is not normal. A rare miss for Trump. A rare miss. <laughs> <laughs> some of this is just an amped up version of what she's been saying. Like she's been making an age argument. She's been talking about the chaos, but it's a lot more pointed now. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, remember, the chaos used to be the chaos follows him around. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like Passive he voice. loves chaos. <laughs> well, it's interesting. That was so strange about it is that like th- that, you know, there's parts where she sort of still has the kind of careful avoidance of certain lines. Like when she describes the Eugene Carroll work, she says she trusts the jury. But in her campaign speeches, she makes it much more about, you know, when he's out there talking about this verdict, he's not talking about inflation. He's not talking about the jobs, whatever. And so it's less about the moral and ethical horror that he represents and more like the politics and the distraction, right? So there's still those lines. But then she says he's in decline. And not only that, in the I don't know, like... I don't know if it's purposely going further, if it's just organically gone further than she was before. She now said in the speech, the country cannot afford four years of Biden or Trump, that the country won't survive it, right? That is going much further. So she's Is that still, a debt argument though? Is that a, like a literal debt thing? She's hitting him on debt. That was a broader, that was a broader point that leads into when she says the part about President Kamala Harris. So it was like- She's trying to get Simpson and Bowles. <laughs> that's no, no, that's good. Hey, Man. hey, that was good. But, <laughs> but so it's like, it, you know, she's, that's a new, to say the country will not survive four years of Trump is like now, but you also won't say that uh, you're following the cases closely. It's strange. So- I feel like she is smart enough to know that she simply cannot win more delegates than him at this stage. Like, yeah. I don't think. One would hope. Yeah. But if, if she, she doesn't go- want to win South Carolina, then probably. But if she goes through Super Tuesday and picks up a bunch of delegates and he gets convicted before the convention and his polls versus Biden crater, then she's the candidate with the next most delegates. And maybe she thinks she wins it there. It's basically the Dean Phillips strategy. <laughs> it's basically what he told us, you know. That he's like, "We'll see what happens in the in the convention if the polls are all, you know." Yeah. There were there, there were also there were two other things that 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 came across. One is it's really interesting when she talked about all the South Carolina politicians that endorsed Trump, mm-hmm. and she said, "Oh, like the gov- like the person I beat. 
oh, like the legislators who I came after for not recording their votes and for being basically corrupt. Oh, and Tim Scott. Well, I'm not going to talk about that. He has to live with his choices. And so <laughs> she's like, I'll, I'll let you all deal with Tim uh, Scott. Yeah, I'll let you all deal with that. But it, well, <laughs> what I took like I, made fun of Lindsey Graham. too. Yes. Like who cares? <laughs> I love. Who wants Lindsey Graham on their side? So <laughs> yeah. like there does feel like a little bit of like a like a local like fuck these people. Yeah, I am pissed. pissed and this is my state. That was the first thing. The second piece of it is. It was true when she when she declared victory in Iowa. Also true when she declared victory in New Hampshire. There is a like, there, she is sharp and she is sharpening. And like I watched the speech she just did in South Carolina. It is a like a ton of like details, facts, numbers. She's like on her game. She's hitting her points. The audience is like really engaged with her. There's, there does feel. I do think she's getting feedback, and because I think she's sharpened her message, it no longer feels like a politician's slog and a set of message points, you do feel like there's a genuine like yeah. kind of purpose to the campaign, even though it's a, you know, all likelihood a, a fool's errand. But like, I do think that's like propelling it a little bit. There's like a real thing happening. Yeah. Lose by 20. <laughs> sure. You know, sure. But, my special purpose. But she's making that electoral, that, that, that electability argument. And like, yeah, maybe she's hanging on for a bad verdict, but maybe also like a couple bad polls that start to make that electability argument get a little bit more purchase. I don't know. I do want to talk a little bit more about her answer on the E. Jean Carroll verdict because we haven't been able to talk about that yet. It happened late last week. Donald Trump is an adjudicated rapist who a jury decided owes the woman he assaulted $87 million for defaming her. That plus the ruling in New York states uh, the the civil trial, the business fraud that uh, the New York AG has brought against him could put a serious dent in his net worth. Yeah, that one can go up to 370 million. I was, t- I was talking to a friend who was a clerk in uh, uh, the New York City courts and dealt with some of these punitive damages. And he was telling me a story about how basically, you know, these jurors get so pissed and it's not their checkbook. And so they write big checks. And he was saying that, uh, uh, that, that one time there was a trial and someone had lost a leg. And the jury had awarded, I think, like $200 million or $300 million for a lost leg. And he said to uh, uh, my friend at the, as the clerk, he said, if I gave you $250 million, would you give me, would you give me your leg below the knee? And he's like, hell yeah. And he's like, that's why I have to lower this. <laughs> it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a deal you'd take. Uh, I mean, it is, it is a bold thing for that to helpful? include. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 helpful yeah, yeah, sure, that analogy yeah. helped. Um, it, it's an article of faith among Republican voters, in part, because of Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and everyone who ran against Donald Trump, that all these trials are unfair and that the justice system is rigged against him. But I bet this is what she really believes. And I think she's making an important point here, which is that this is not just a handful of liberal judges going after Donnie T. These are juries, grand juries who are awarding damages, who are deciding uh, if they should issue charges against him or not. And so, yeah, like some of this is like liberal people in liberal cities, but there's a a grand jury in Southern Florida who thinks Donald Trump did some bad things. And maybe she's kind of like going to spell that out a little more. Uh, Yeah, I do think leaning on the jury, I think that tells us something too about, um, we've all seen these polls where when they ask people, you know, if Donald Trump is convicted, what do you think? And will you vote for him? And then suddenly like Joe Biden's winning the race, right? And I think that there is still widespread trust in juries, even if Donald Trump has radicalized the Republican Party against the justice system, courts, (laughs) saying that everything's like, you know, 
Joe Biden and his DOJ trying to go after everyone. And I, I do think that as he as as juries start finding him liable or potentially guilty on some of these charges, that, um, you know, it's not going to be as easy to just blame Joe Biden and Merrick Garland and the DOJ on this kind of stuff. And I think that's why why she said that. And also don't think that Donald Trump helped himself too much. You know, he stormed out of court. His lawyers yelling at the judge. Like you're sitting there as a, he thinks that his like tough guy, I'm, I'm strong. I'm going to yell at everyone. Like that might work with like Republican base voters. I think just like a jury sitting there listening to E.G. and Carroll and listening to Trump's lawyer and listening to all the evidence, like they're, they're going to think differently. Yeah. I also, it's, you know, he right now, like, yes, this may not, ultimately redound to Nikki Haley being the Republican nominee. But on like Trump is getting it from Joe Biden and the Democrats and Nikki Haley is hitting him pretty hard on this stuff. And I do think like that together, if that can keep going over the next couple months, maybe nice. I like it. Now, I like it. Do you think uh, you think she's veering too heavily into Chris Christie territory or uh, or is this the right message from an analysis point? I mean, we obviously hey, we you know how on. we think, feel about Chris Christie's <laughs> message. But I mean, the old message had her taking third in Iowa and losing by 30 points. <laughs> yeah. So maybe switch it up. I yeah. support that. I mean, like, the, the writing might be on the wall, but let's we'll see. You know, maybe it's the hamburger from heaven. Maybe it's the court <laughs> cases. I also think that's like when in doubt, make the strongest argument and tell the best story. I think she is not doing what Chris Christie, like, look, she's going much harder, but she, there is a care. She, she does. Chris Christie was not playing for, for, for a majority. He just wasn't. And he, but like you see when Chris, when, when Nikki Haley is on stage, you watch her couch things based on conversations she's had or polling she's seen. Like there's a there's a discipline to it, even when she's going really hard. Like she always throws in like, I don't want to disparage anybody, but or when she goes after I mean it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, he's in, but he's in decline. But 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 like it's very clearly that, that like defamation training. That's yeah. how you save yourself. Yeah. <laughs> what I've heard is um <laughs> she'll endorse him by the convention. Who are we kidding? I hate that I'm asking this question. Did you guys read that Ross Duthat column? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm not. so sorry, John. I didn't save you because I moments ago I almost said we've all read the Ross Duthat column. <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting is so so yeah. Ross Duthat wrote a column basically that, that said she is veering too heavily into Chris Christie territory. Is it Duthat or Douthat? I have I I've never okay. known. I've never known. Fine, fine. So I'm just, just sorry. Going forward. Didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, Ross. Don't mean to disparage you. Uh, so uh, and he basically said she is veering too much into Chris Christie territory and that she should try to actually expand her coalition if she wants to win. And he, his advice is to like. She should be focusing on issues and criticizing Trump for like not getting enough done while he was president. My feeling that is like Ron DeSantis tried that. It yeah, read like a, the thing that Ross wrote read like a Ron DeSantis stump speech. Yeah, already that's had what I that. Thought. And now I agree that Ron DeSantis's loss was overdetermined because he was <laughs> terrible in every way humanly possible. But but the other thing I took away from the Ross Douthat column, with which we're all familiar, is <laughs> the part where. She does either she either it's great minds or she read the column. Uh, she's making an elitist argument. Yeah, she makes. I was wondering if she got that from the yeah. column. <laughs> Listen, everybody's reading uh, this column. Just, uh, all of Tommy, what do you think of Ross Douthat's column? I Which you didn't read it. Uh, oh bullshit! This New York Times columnist should go to some Trump events and talk to the people there because they think he was a great president. I know. Who accomplished yeah. great things in literally every poll and every focus group you'll ever watch says this. We'll tell you that. Loved his presidency. Loved the I policies. Think he was amazing. Think he won the election. 
Yeah, that's where <laughs> if the they have any is. complaints about him. It's the complaints that Nikki Haley is uh, making, which is that he like throws like camper tantrum and can't control like, yeah. himself, stuff like that. That's the only thing that they might not like about him. And that's like a smaller percentage than you than you'd hope. OK, before we go to break, quick housekeeping notes. Washington, D.C. is where we're kicking off Crooked's 2024 tour dates. Love it or leave it will be coming to Washington on April 25th. Hell yeah. For a show at the Lincoln Theater. Tickets are available now. They're, almost, they're selling. Head to crooked.com slash events to grab your tickets. Also, you don't need to wait till April to hear Love It's Best Takes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. oh, God, what is this? Tomorrow, January 31st, he'll be on the Friends of the Pod Discord at 2.30 Pacific time for an AMA. Oh, great. Cool. All you have to do is be a Friends of the Pod member. Sign and if you're, if you're not, you should sign up at cricket.com slash friends. You get to ask Love It questions. You get to listen to all of our other pod. Like Dan Pfeiffer's got a new Polar Coaster pod. Yeah. Terminally that, online. That all great. kinds of great content. So sign up. Also, today is National Help America Vote Day. By becoming a poll worker, you can help strengthen our democracy and ensure free and fair elections this November. So head to powerthepolls.org slash America to sign up. Okay, let's talk about Joe Biden. Uh, He campaigned in South Carolina over the weekend. The first official Democratic primary takes place there on Saturday, though the president was mostly focused on his likely general election opponent, Donald Trump. The New York Times has a story about Biden's battle plan for the uh, campaign, which apparently includes a focus on Trump, democracy, abortion, as well as a big surrogate operation of social media influencers, fundraisers with Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, and a hoped-for endorsement from Taylor Swift. Uh, Biden for, for ten thousand, you meet Bill Clinton. For twenty thousand, you don't have to. <laughs> wow, wow. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Biden went pretty hard at Trump during his speech in South Carolina. Let's listen. Have you noticed? He's a little confused these days. He apparently can't tell the difference between Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. Folks, the bottom line is our economy has grown more in the last six months than it ever did at any point in Trump's entire four years in office. Donald Trump refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery outside of Paris for fallen American soldiers. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, as suckers and losers. He actually said that. He said that. How dare he say that? How dare he talk about my son and all of us dressed like that? Look, I call them patriots and heroes. The only loser I see is Donald Trump. And you're the reason Donald Trump is a defeated former president. You're the reason Donald Trump is a loser. And you're the reason we're going to win and beat him again. What did you guys think of the speech and the message? It's good to see him at a rally. You know, it gets some energy. You're not in the Rose Garden. You're not stuck at that terrible briefing room podium. Mm-hmm. That was good. Decided to unload the oppo clip on Trump there. You know, the, 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 he also hit him for saying uh, Trump said he wanted to see the economy collapse for political reasons. Mm-hmm. He called him Donald Herbert Hoover Trump. Nice. Zinger. That's going to stick. I like the I like hitting him on the Pelosi Haley confusion. I think that's 
Did you feel yeah, like you want to call stick. me senile? It's broken How about that? Yeah. How about yeah. this? I'll call you I'm senile. I'm rubber, you're glue, <laughs> you old fuck. <laughs> uh, did you think that there was a sentence that was supposed to come after the Haley Pelosi line? He just sort of made reference to it, but he didn't describe it. He just Well, if you listen to the speech, it's a it's a hard transition to the border right after that's that. That's what I, I know. really hard transition. It felt like there was something missing. Maybe he, there was more to the hit. He skipped it. I don't mm. know. There was a couple times where there was some assumed knowledge. Like at one point he said to the crowd, did you see that article about Snickers? <laughs> and they were like, no. It's about shrinkflation. Do you about, know shrinkflation? Uh, not, I do know, yeah. It was not bad than the New York Times. Anyway, I People, think another, hey, it was hey. right next to the rust. Yeah, it probably was. Well, no, listen, hey, the, the shrinkflation is real, all right? They're, they're making these peanut butter jars. Swimming? It's all good. Uh, they're making okay. these peanut butter jars. They're hiding, they're hiding it. You know, they, they make the divot on the bottom bigger. So the jar looks bigger, less peanut butter inside. And the reason he asked about Snickers is that apparently Snickers bars are a little bit smaller now, but the same price. I also yeah. think that the, <laughs> part of that art op-ed was about how the prices of things like a Snickers are not going down as fast as the price of a TV. So if you're buying a, a Snickers, you're seeing it's a buck twenty now, and it used to be a buck, and you're still kind of pissed off about inflation, even though we're broadly inflation's decreasing. Yeah. Anyway, and it's the corporation's fault, right? Because there's no fault. there's no supply chain it's issue gr- greedy that's making Snickers shrink their uh, shrink their no, bars. No, it's not just, that we know of. Yeah, but a lot and of the one was, thing this country needs is gigantic Snickers bars. We had to be satisfied. That's, that's his that's his platform. All right, I'm in. I had a Snickers this weekend, and it was great. <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, were you going to say something? <laughs> no, I mean, broadly, I mean, the, a lot of the speech was focused on accomplishments. There was a riff on promise made, promise kept. It wasn't a ton of, uh, here's what I'm going to do if you reelect me in a second term as compared to what Trump would do. But, you know, it's, that's going to take some time to, to flesh out, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, it was just nice to see just like a hard hit on Donald Trump. I do think it was a bit of like a catch-all without like, there was not... There wasn't a story to the hits on Trump. Like Haley goes out there, the other the other person giving speeches across the country hitting Trump this week. But Haley goes out there. She starts with Trump right away. And she says, you know, Trump's out for himself. He's thinking about himself. He's not thinking about you. And then she kind of goes into it. There wasn't that kind of cohesive story to the critique of Trump. And it didn't tie back to the promises made, promises kept section. It felt like just a few chunks of different things they were putting together to try out. I liked the parts that they were trying out. Yeah, I like. I agree with both of you. I mean, what I liked about the speech, delivery, lively and energetic, great to see. It was a tight twenty-four minute speech. Love a sub thirty-minute speech from anyone. Uh, he went hard at Trump. That's great. I think it was focused too heavily on reciting a list of his accomplishments and too heavily on Trump's character, too heavily on what Trump's done in the past. Like I don't. I think that the it's it's great to do the troops line, but like that's from years ago, an Atlantic piece, and it just seems old now. Um, what is missing is a story about what Biden's trying to do for the country versus what Trump's trying to do to the country. Uh, like I really like Biden's finish. Let's finish the job slogan, but now he's got to talk about the job he wants to finish and talk about how he's going to finish it. Um, he had a, a there was a tweet last week. Uh, where he talked about on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And on abortion, his message is great. It's very specific. Give me a bigger Democratic majority. I will codify Roe v. Wade. That's simple. People get it. That can go for the entire agenda. And he should say, like, we've done a lot. Trump has Republicans in Congress blocking everything for politics, even a border deal that they wanted. Get rid of Trump. Give me a bigger majority and we can solve a lot of our problems. And that also speaks to some of the disappointment that some voters might have that he didn't do more. He didn't get more done. Start. You have a whole Republican Congress to blame that is being led around by Donald Trump. Yeah. Like you just got to You got to tell us it's got to be about the future. One of the write ups of their plan is around the speech is there were some Biden advisors basically saying that they want to fight on the economy to a draw so that they can 
be more on their turf where they feel like they can win, which is democracy, extremism, abortion. And I think that's I felt like that's what this speech was about. Like the I the promises made, promises kept. I do think that they must be seeing, we're all seeing it, a ton of polling that shows people have Forget the stuff that Republicans blocked. They have no idea what Joe Biden got done in the last few years. I see it myself. Like, there's a ton of misinformation around, like, student debt, for example. Like, one, you know, the last week he made uh, issued that decision that would cancel another $5 billion in debt. And there's a ton of stuff circulating on social media that says, oh, Biden has only canceled $5 billion of student debt. That's, like, less than half a percent of the outstanding debt, which just isn't true and misses the billions and billions and billions he's canceled for millions of people. And so... I don't know what the answer is there. I agree with you. Like a Tim Waltz spoke to some reporter and said that, you know, this the choice is democracy and freedom versus extremism and chaos, right? Like that to me is like a simple frame like that that is clearly running through this speech but wasn't laid out in this speech and you yeah. have to get to the choice. But, I, you know, the, they clearly want more people to understand what he got done. Even on the student loan stuff, he, he started to tell the story of what he's been doing and what he hopes to do, right? He was like, I wanted to cancel all student debt. The Supreme Court blocked me. I said, I, that, fine, I'm going to just do as much as I can on my own, but give me a bigger Democratic majority. They can send me a bill and I'll cancel the rest in the second term, right? Like you've got to, even the, the accomplishments are fine to talk about, but you got to put the accomplishments in the context of Finishing what your vision is, what you're trying to do so people understand the story. Because otherwise it's just a list of policies that people are going to be like, what? Yeah. I think, yeah. The, yeah, the ship has passed and I think getting credit for the things he feels like he didn't have credit for. I do think, you know, Biden's got a nail biter coming up. Um, Emerson Poll in early January had him at 69%, Dean Phillips at 5%. <laughs> Marianne Williamson at three. So he's got to get that did over you the guys, line. Did you guys see... So Dean Phillips also spoke at this event that Biden was at because there was a Democratic primary. And the guy was... It's a painful clip. It's try, him trying to get everyone's attention because everyone's like walking out of the room and eating. And he's like, can I just get your attention for two minutes? Just two minutes. It was yeah, like trying to sell you a car. Two minutes of, for two minutes of your time, I'm going to refer to some New York Times polls you may not have seen. What you guys make of the time story? Uh, you guys feeling good about the battle plan? Any other advice you want to give from uh, here in the cheap seats? Uh, I listen. The one, my favorite part of the that story is that they had to tell people applying for social media jobs to stop uh, telling them that they wanted to get Taylor Swift's endorsement, and basically just sort of like, "We agree, it would be nice. We've heard enough ideas on that. Please do not reference that in your strategy deck." What's Thank your you. What's your posting strategy? Huh? Yeah. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't tell me about your Taylor Swift strategy. Tell me yeah. about your posting strategy. We all strategy. want Taylor <laughs> Swift on board. Everybody <laughs> wants Taylor Swift in the tent. It's tough for the people who applied. It, I was glad to hear that they're staffing up quickly. The campaign team now is 100 members, and they have staff in six swing states and South Carolina for the primary. It also sounds like the surrogate focus is beyond just Taylor Swift. It's not just elected officials, but it's like micro-influencers and you know people who have Instagram followings that you've never heard of but matter a lot in their community, so like, that'll matter. You know, they're betting that concerns about Trump outweigh concerns about Biden's age. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. I do, you know. Democratic candidate X should have a better surrogate operation is like one of the oldest complaints sure in, in politics. I do think it's especially important this time um, since Biden is so unpopular and there will likely be third party options for people to go to. And it's also going to be really tough to get people's attention just because of the way the media is and because everyone's like, oh, are we st we're having this rerun race again, right? So I do think you need the biggest coalition possible of notable people who can build a permission structure for different groups of voters to think it's okay to vote for Joe Biden again, even if they're not super thrilled about it. Taylor Swift for young people who aren't sure if they're going to vote. 
Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney for Republicans who don't like Trump but are like not so sold on Joe Biden, like AOC and Bernie for disappointed progressives. Like you just need as many people out yeah. there on the field as possible yeah. saying like it we need to do this. This is good. This is for us. It's not about Joe Biden or Donald Trump. It's about for the, it's about the country, you know. Tip of canoe had Tyler too. You know, the original. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. Tommy's been, Tommy's been waiting to unleash yeah. that one. You're playing yeah. the bongos over there, man. But, uh, hammer. I'm sorry. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Audio file over here. This guy. This guy. <laughs> He's cut, like that guy in that boat. them responding aggressively to my <laughs> joke. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 the response was aggressive. Um, um, I really hope Biden wins. Taylor Swift did endorse him in 2020. <laughs> yeah, she did. Also. She endorsed. And she's also used her Instagram to like get a ton of people to... to uh, register to vote so like she's been out there yeah it's a, she sort of she does the more like i'm i'm voting she she does it she did it more subtly and she's in very focused on tennessee and, and i think for this time around she'd want to be like the biden campaign probably wanted to be a little more forceful yes and by the way like it's not like it i i hope the biden campaign figures out how to convince to coax taylor out of her den like a like a scared lost puppy but like it's also on taylor swift like hey you just did the biggest tour ever. You made some some references to politics in some places as part of the tour, but it was a largely apolitical tour and you built up a ton of goodwill. And it's like, it's time to spend it. You know, yeah. the country needs you. It's like, that's it. And like, you're the yeah. black mirror of the people yelling at her for ruining the NFL. I like this. Let's just, let's just heap Those are responsibility called, yeah. on this woman. Well, yeah, I think with great power comes great responsibility. Do you not agree with that statement? Or also, have you not read a comic like, book? Those are right, like loud, right. annoying voices on social media. Like most people are like, oh, I love Taylor Swift or I love football and they watch it. That's it. Yeah, I do think. Yeah, <laughs> That's most anybody, people in the country. And he's mad, anyone mad about Taylor Swift appearing in their screens for like 15 seconds You're over the course of a three hour game? The you know, biggest babies in the world. Yeah, go outside and maybe um, ask your mom what it's like to be a woman. <laughs> So that's the campaign. Uh, one challenge every president running for re-election has to deal with is uh, unexpected events that divert attention from your message and campaign plans. That has obviously been happening to Biden with the war in Gaza. It just escalated over the weekend when Iran-backed militias killed and wounded American troops in Jordan. Biden said in South Carolina on Sunday when he was in church that uh, the U.S. will be responding. And a lot of Republicans are already demanding that he hit Iran hard. I think Tom Cotton said he'd be a coward if he didn't no, yeah. uh, hit Tehran. Sounds right. And uh, and Lindsey Graham's been going after him. Trump's been going after him on this. Tommy, what's your level of concern over uh, what might happen next here? Extremely high. I mean, the, over the weekend, this was the first time that U.S. troops have been killed and 30 were wounded. So this is like a big attack. But it's just the most recent of, I think the last count was 150 attacks on U.S. troops by these Iranian-linked proxy groups in Iraq in Syria, and then on top of that, you have the Houthi rebels firing at ships all through the Red Sea. The U.S. has been hammering targets in Yemen itself since January 11th, basically a daily basis. So this, you know, because of uh, these Iranian proxy group responses to what's happening in Gaza, the tensions in the region have gone up and up and up and up. And I think the White House is probably deciding, okay, do we hit like IRGC bases, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard uh, bases in Syria? or Iraq, or do we actually hit targets in Iran itself? And that is a pretty scary, terrible choice to have to make. Or not, frankly, they don't have to make it. They could they could not respond if they want to, but I suspect they are going to, and they're going to do so in a pretty heavy way. Man, this uh, unyielding supporter of Bibi Netanyahu is really paying dividends, huh? Yeah, I mean, I do think that's the frustrating part is, um, you know, I know that they're working very hard to get a ceasefire in Gaza. There's all these reports that they're like close to getting a one-month or two-month ceasefire, but 
um, you know, I think we should take the Houthi rebels and some of these other groups uh, at their word that part of the impetus for this increase in attacks on U.S. forces is because of what's happening in Gaza. And if you can get a ceasefire there, hopefully a permanent one, and get the hostages back, then you could ratchet down tensions everywhere in the Middle East. But yeah, we'll see. And of course, Trump's critiques on this are all bullshit, right? He's like, oh, this never would have happened if I was president. I mean, who knows, right? It's just like the simplest, stupidest thing to say. He also said today or yesterday that the stock market is up because oh, I'm yeah. doing so that. well in the I polls that, that too, it's for yeah. me. That that that, that investors when, are saying Trump's going to win, and so we're all excited. So that the stock Trump, market when the stock market's up, that's Trump. When the stock market's down, that's Biden. When the jobs are up, that's Trump. When the jobs are down, that's Biden. Yeah, I mean, Trump likes to pretend that the Iranians weren't doing very similar things when he was president. They absolutely were. He's just, you know, he's exploiting everything he can for maximum political gain, including the death of U.S. troops. Going to be a fun year, guys. Yeah. Going to be a fun campaign. Well, that's all we have for today. Um, we will talk to you again on Wednesday, and uh, that's it. See you at the movies. See you at the movies. If you want to get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and more, consider joining our Friends of the Pod subscription community at crooked.com friends. And if you're already doom scrolling, don't forget to follow us at Pod Save America on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for access to full episodes, bonus content, and more. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. Our show is produced by Olivia Martinez and David Toledo. Our associate producers are Saul Rubin and Farah Safari. Kira Joaquim is our senior producer. Reed Churlin is our executive producer. The show is mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Writing support by Hallie Kiefer. Madeline Herringer is our head of news and programming. Matt DeGroat is our head of production. Andy Taft is our executive assistant. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Haley Jones, Mia Kelman, David Tolles, Kirill Pelaviv, and Molly Lobel.